Manscaped presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Also brought to you by our partners at Foundation Physiotherapy, Ballistic Sports, and Georgetown Honda. This week, former Blue Jay and all-star closer BJ Ryan talks about how hard the end of his career was. I'm all the way back down here at the bottom now, and I've got to work all the way back up. Guys taking shots at you on top of that. I mean, it's just it's just white noise at that time because you're just you're worried about how am I going to get back. And now here's a guy who's also had some pretty difficult end to careers and jobs. He's had some pretty difficult beginnings, middles. Barry, have you ever had a job that went well? This one's not bad. <laughs> but I have to say this probably is my lowest paying job that I've ever had. But it can only go up from here. Well, you know what? You're paying your co-host way too much. And... Way too much. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to give you a raise from zero to 0 0.1. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just look at it like I'm collecting guitars. I think that one there is yours. Yes. The one over my left shoulder is yours. The one over yeah, my right shoulder is you've yours. You've got a lot of my stuff there. <laughs> uh, folks, we've got a great program for you this week as we will be joined by a guy that has never been on this show before. A guy that I hadn't spoken to since he was a Toronto Blue Jay. And I tell you what, we've got some great stories that are going to be shared today by former Blue Jay closer B.J. Ryan. And uh, as you mentioned off the top, his story about how his career ended is just so gripping. And uh, again, it's taken him many, many years to get over what was a crappy end to his career. So BJ Ryan will join us, of course, with our studio audience, as always. We will also talk to Raj Sapaya. Uh, this week, we're not going to talk to Raj about a Toronto Blue Jay injury, although there are many to choose from. No, no, this week, we're going to talk about Josh Naylor. Uh, man, just a really ugly, scary incident. Uh, is there any good news as far as his rehab goes? Raj Sapaya will tell us that. And up next, Thomas, the Blue Jays are sending a number of players to the All-Star game. They're having a wonderful, wonderful run in so many areas, yet it's still so hard to get many fans on board the 2021 team. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're watching and listening to Out of the Park. Uh, play ball! Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by our good pals at manscaped.com. The ones who created the Lawnmower 4.0. And great news, folks. The promo code out of the park has been extended for one more month. So you still have an opportunity to go to manscaped.com, order yourself the Lawnmower 4.0, and use the promo code out of the park. You see it on your screen now. You will save yourself 20% and get free shipping. And here's the thing, Tom. And I know many listening may feel the same way you do, and that is. Summer's coming. Weather's going to get warmer. It's time to dig your Borat swimsuit out of the out of the closet and put it on. Now, Tom, as, as nice as you look in your Borat swimsuit, I think that if you had less hair sticking out of places where it's not covered, you'd look much better. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Everybody would look much better. It's not about, you know, ignoring our nasty bits. It's about taking taking care of them and making sure they look presentable. Making and sure they're less nasty. Bingo. And as RPMs are dropping all over the league in baseball, RPMs are going up with the Lawnmower 4.0. Over 7,000 RPMs of safe grooming power, waterproof in your hands. You could use it anywhere. You could take it to the beach and use it even in the summer. Yes. 
And Tom, as you and I uh, can both attest to, as we get a little bit older, hair starts to grow out of places that we are not comfortable with, uh, including the nose and the ears. And you are also now the proud owner of the Weed Whacker. And mm -hmm. as far as I know, that promo code out of the park will apply to that as well. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And the Weed Whacker, anybody who's ever had the you know ear and nose trimmer necessities in their lives um this is the best one i've ever tried uh i've had it for a few weeks now i'm happy and i'm clean as a whistle there you go manscape.com use the promo code out of the park save 20 percent, and uh let's keep this thing going folks because it is great that we can promote a product that we can give you a great deal on and you have an opportunity to save yourself some money which is very important uh in these days of saving money okay mm -hmm. baseball talk for you now uh, uh, it's funny because the Blue Jays go and win a bunch of games and people are like cautiously optimistic, but then they lose two in a row and it's like, we should pack it in, cash in our chips. It's all over folks. This team just had three members of their starting lineup voted in to start the all-star game Teoscar Hernandez, Vladimir Guerrero and Marcus Simeon will all start at the all-star mm -hmm. game. That's something to be pretty damn proud of. Almost 30 years since that's happened. Yes. And that was a pretty good team. If I recall, I believe they went all the way in the end, didn't they? 1993 was the last time. Mm, yes, possibly. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. Let's face it. The Jays are going to win games. They're going to lose games. There's going to be some tough losses. And I know as fans, we really get passionate. But... It's going to tear you apart to get ripped up over every loss because they're mm -hmm. going to happen. This team could make the postseason. It may not make the postseason. The bottom line is it's July the 1st. Trade deadline's coming. The Jays have already made a move. They're probably going to be making more moves. This team is in a position of trying to buy, not sell. They want to build. They want to make a playoff run this year. Until they say it's not mathematically possible anymore, cheer them on. Be happy. Be thankful. Enjoy the, these young players as they continue to play so well. There's going to be some crappy moments, and it's going to frustrate you, and you're going to get all up in knots. But don't quit on this team. There's no need to quit on this team. This team still has a lot of baseball left to play and many years of really good baseball left to play. Yeah. Uh, I keep saying it every week. Some of the most exciting baseball I've ever seen, and some of the games aren't going our way, but... You know, we're two games over 500 or three games over 500 as we record Whoa. this. Yeah. Um, you, things are great. Last time we were, you know, la 2015, how, how long into the season was the team at 500, right? And I see people putting up these graphics on Twitter, like the Jays need to go, you know, X percentage the oh. rest of the way to get to X wins. And, and, but that's not how, the way that it plays out realistically, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, a 92-team win or a 97-team win, there's a billion different ways to get to 97 wins. We that's saw right. one of them in 2015. We saw a different one in 2016. 92 and 93 were completely different rides. 87, like, let's just start enjoying this a little bit more, I hope. <laughs> you know, because it is, like, you know, we talk about it all the time. The Jays go down. We know they can get back into it. It's amazing. Watching these bats, 
is something special. Vladdy is putting on a special season. Teoscar, Bichette, like Semyon is just on fire right now. It's like a buzzsaw that can go off for a pitcher at any point in time in the game. That's a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, we got some bullpen bumps, but we're still in a competitive position. We're doing far better than we could be with the injuries we've had. Everybody relax and enjoy it. I have pointed this out on numerous occasions, and I'm going to point it out again. 2015, at the trade deadline, the Blue Jays were 500, and they were eight and a half games out of first place. And at that time, it was the same thing. Well, if the Blue Jays plan to make the postseason, they're going to have to go this, this, and this. They'd have to play at a clip because 600-something baseball. That's not – you don't know. They could go. They could win 10 in a row to finish the season and make a run and get into the postseason. Or they could play 600 baseball and lose 10 in a row at the end of the season and not make it. The Blue Jays came back from eight and a half back, and they won that division by a landslide. They had a wonderful August and September. Now, will the Blue Jays be acquiring names like David Price and Troy Tulowitzki? No, but maybe they will. You don't yeah, know. You, and can here's I jump the thing. in on that? Yeah. Can I jump in on that? You're right, because I was, you know, I was a huge fan of the Anthopolis moves. And one of my big criticisms about Shapiro and Atkins is they were that, you know, batting down the hatches, smart, responsible, small ball moves. And I wanted big home runs. I wanted big guys brought in. But look what happened this offseason. <laughs> look who we have. And who knows what's going to happen. We could end up with some amazing things. And... I honestly have faith that Shapiro and Atkins right now, like if we're in a position to be competitive, some amazing things might happen. And you know, it's interesting, Tom, because when we hear from BJ Ryan later in the program, he talks about how he could only wish that he was playing and being a part of the teams that he's on that the Blue Jays have now. Because back when he was there, and you recall, BJ Ryan, Roy Halladay, Alex Rios, all all stars that year, and the Jays didn't come close. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's the sum of the parts. So let's see how the sum of these parts get together and, and, and let's enjoy the rest of the season. Because as yeah. BJ said, he would trade in what he had in 2006, seven and eight to play for the 2021 Blue Jays. Yeah, exactly. You know what? It's been it has been a long winter in Canada and Toronto in particular. You know, nerves are frayed and jangled and. Here, I think a lot of people are just kind of getting into that habit where it's hard to be happy about something. Yes. So, you know, I think Blue Jay fans make a conscious effort to enjoy this team, the bad games and the good games. At least we're watching baseball. This time last year, I don't even think we were yet, right? And you know what else we're watching, Tom? And I'm going to change the subject here. But we're, we're now watching live music again. And I was so mm -hmm. thankful and blessed to uh, have been a part of uh, the Big Q107 Festival. Uh, on Canada Day, July the 1st, where We Ain't Petty was back on stage playing to a, a big, huge parking lot full of cars. And people were outside their cars dancing. There were people in their 60s and 70s, and there were 12-year-olds all getting up and having fun and dancing. The world is ready to enjoy themselves again, and it was so nice to see everyone in a safe and, and friendly environment enjoying a lot of great, great music. And I tell you what, we were very fortunate, Tom, that on the bill, there were a lot of fantastic bands. And talk about a small world. And this is, I got to share this story because it's one of the craziest things. So the band that went on before us was an Alanis Morissette tribute. 
They were called Jagged Little Pill. The woman doing the Alanis Morris set was phenomenal. She sounded so good. She was up there playing guitar, just really good. And as I'm listening to her, first thing I'm saying is, this woman sounds a lot like Alanis Morissette. She's got great stage presence. She's got just a great, great voice. And we chatted a bit off stage and blah, blah, blah. And didn't think anything of it. Although part of my mind said, I think I may have seen this, this woman sing somewhere before. It just didn't even click in. I get home later that night, and I get a message on Facebook Messenger. And it's from this... This girl, this woman, who we had, not you, but Matt and I had on sessions a couple of years ago, a woman by the name of Sandra Buza, and she's just a fantastic uh, original artist. And she wrote back to me, and she said, I didn't know it was your Tom Petty band playing yesterday. And I wrote, oh, were you there yesterday? She goes, yeah, I was the Alanis Morissette. And I'm like, oh, my oh, God. Wow. This, this incredibly talented woman who I've spoken to on Out of the Park who we've had many text conversations back and forth. We had no idea that we were who we were chatting backstage until we both got home from the gig, and we had this great conversation about how bizarre that is. Matt didn't recognize her either, and Matt knew her. We both knew her, but we had no idea that was her. Well, she'd have been done up like Alanis, right? Well, not just that. I mean, I also was... Uh, well, you'd have been done up like Tom. Yeah, and I was also uh, I, I was uh, you know jabbed the day before, and even uh, as we record today, I'm still feeling like crapperola. So I, I use that as an excuse <laughs> that I I was a little <laughs> delirious uh, at the moment. But again, some great talent. There was a, a really good U2 tribute band. There was a Queen tribute, and uh, hopefully we'll get some more of these this summer. And hopefully you and I will get some of these. And in fact, uh, the We Ain't Petty band uh, has just been booked at Drums and Flats out in Whitby and uh, Ajax, and we'll be there on August the 13th, Friday the 13th. So uh, nice. I'm expecting you to come out and see us at the very least, Tom. Oh, I'll be there. Okay. All right, Tom, we still uh, have BJ Ryan coming up, and man, what a conversation this is. Just a tremendous, tremendous chat with BJ Ryan. But up next, uh, we're not going to talk about a Blue Jays injury this week. We're going to talk about a Canadian who was injured, and this was very, very ugly. But what kind of path? Does Josh Naylor have ahead of him to get back? We'll find out next. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You are watching and listening to Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. It is time once again to chat with our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Raj, you got your old backdrop back today for those watching. It looks good, man. It looks good. And you look good. You always look good, Raj Sapaya. Yeah. Thanks. yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. I appreciate the, the compliment. So, Raj, uh, four, four locations for Foundation Physiotherapy, three in person, one online. Tell our listeners and viewers how they can find Foundation Physiotherapy. For sure. Uh, you guys can check us out online at foundationphysio.com or on social media at Foundation Physio. Give us a shout. Uh, we're open, we're safe, um, and we're going to treat all of your back, all of your pains and aches and get you on the right path for recovery. That's all important stuff. Okay, Raj Sapaya, um, the Toronto Blue Jays, tons of injuries this year. Rafael Dolis has a sprained finger. Now, I totally understand that pitching is all about feel and grip. 
But when we're talking about a sprained finger, is there really damage that can be done to that finger throwing a baseball, or is this just a pain tolerance situation? Uh, so whenever we mention the word sprain, we talk about ligaments, right? Uh, strain means muscle, sprain means ligament. So we have to look at our finger. Uh, and when we look at our finger, we actually look at, it's not just one bone, there's actually three bones, right? And there's, there's a big bone here as well. So between these bones, there's ligaments that hold these bones together. That's what's preventing my finger from, for example, hyperextending backwards, right? That's what all, that's all I can do. If I didn't have the ligaments protecting me, I'd, it'd go way back and I'd, I'd create some discomfort. So um, in terms of a protective, it's probably from overuse, clearly like, you know, a lot, just a straight up overuse of, of his arm that the ligaments have gotten weak. And um, so likely in terms of, I don't even think it's a pain tolerance thing. I think it's first of all, also protecting his hand from being more damaged uh, and just being able to perform letter, better later on. And going down the can this haunt him for a while thing. I don't know if you can see my finger there, but as you notice, it's not it's not yeah. straight. I, oh, I, oh, it's your fourth finger. Okay. I don't know yeah, what you're doing. <laughs> I, I got I got all the ligaments jammed in it. Yeah. I'll pop it. So now it's my finger's been crooked for for years. It's not just your finger, Tom. Just my finger. Thank you. No, no, not no, I said not just your finger is crooked. Oh, oh, come on, man. All right. Well, anyways. Could he end up overstraining his finger to the point where those ligaments do pop? Like this is like mallet finger. It, it comes from like a sharp jab down onto the finger, but of could course. a picture with something like yeah, that? Yeah, of course. Which is why they're probably um, noticing it early, and you know, because we have all like for the most part, we've all might have had multiple sprains in our hands, but we kind of just let it be because we're normal people. We don't have to pitch at that kind of depth that they do. Um, so we don't, you know, we don't always have the resources to get to stay off of our job for two weeks and strengthen our hands, you know, so we kind of just deal with small finger sprains. They're, they're not overly painful, um, but they do give you like, you know, especially a pitch from pitcher. The hand is, is so important just to be able to grip that ball. So, you know, even if it's the smallest sprain um, from a protective standpoint to make sure he, his hand doesn't get like that even five years from now, Tom, it's good to, to have him, you know, early intervention, recognize it, pull him out strengthen rest recover and then get back into it when the hand has the strength back are you guys ready for a little conspiracy theory go for it okay so this year major league baseball is really cracking down on pitchers using any kind of sticky substance on the balls and earlier in the program i showed tom a baseball from 15 years ago and a baseball from today and the baseball 15 years ago was rubbed in mud like all baseballs were, and there was more of a grip. Is it possible that we could see more finger injuries from pitchers because they're gripping the ball harder because they don't have the same friction on the ball? I think so. I think so. And, and so gripping the, the – there's this whole, like, power effect, right? you got to grip the ball hard and let it go harder because the harder you grip the ball, the harder you have to throw to let it go. You have to open your hands. So you're going to have a higher chance – of sprains with that power differential from that hard grasp to the hard release. Hey, Tom, Tom, eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm looking something very important up because I have a follow-up question for this. Okay. So so I think I think that, yes, you can see it. But that being said, if you know that's the case, you make your hands stronger. They also have so much more tools today. You know, like I have seen hand – like you – I mean, I've seen what the Major League Baseball players use for hand strengthening. It's nothing you'll find in a regular gym, Right. Uh, it's 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 quite innovative stuff. So they have they have those tools, and those tools should be used regularly by, by the pitchers, by all the players, actually, because hand strength is so important in baseball generally. 
you know, Barry brings up a good point of, of injury coming out of this sort of switch mid-season in, in league policy. Uh, and it's not the first time that's been brought up. Tyler Glass now, pitcher on the Rays, um, just tore, I believe it was his UCL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's specifically blaming his inability to use the substances that he's been using to pitch and grip the ball yep. for that break. Could you, could you, as a healthcare professional, could you see that like not being able to to grip the or having to change the grip actually resulting in a tear in the elbow? Yes, I I, I don't want to you know I don't want to take a side here, but I do agree. For any athlete, a change in mechanics without preparation can create it. If you know if they had consulted with the medical team or anybody like that, likely it's better to make a change off season so that the athletes have time to strengthen and train so that they understand the science behind it and then reinstall it next season. But mid-season, it's very hard because now I'm so used to holding something and now I have to hold it harder, but I'm still playing. So I haven't had an off-season to strengthen my whole forearm. So, yeah, I agree with the pitcher. Like, there are higher chances of injury by changing your mechanics midway through the season. It should have been done in the off-season. See, I, I have the same issue because I changed host midway through out of the park and I've had to carry Tom for the last several <laughs> months. My body is just killing me, Raj Sapaya. <laughs> a big Tom, load, a big load of dead you, I've been here. with you for a few years, Barry. You always have a good, consistent relationship. With you. Yes, our relationship is not strained or sprained, fortunately. <laughs> Raj, we'll talk to you next week, pal. <laughs> All right, guys. Later. It's the only thing that stops the Well, joining us now is a guy, you weren't a Blue Jay for all that many years, but man, you made such an impact, BJ Ryan. And I think a lot of that impact was made when you signed in that offseason. I remember going down to a, a Toronto Raptors game and they had AJ Burnett there. I don't know if you were there too, but it was like this big deal, like the Jays are spending money and signing. Uh, when, you, when you signed that offseason, how, how excited were you to, to be a part of what we all thought was going to be a magical team? Yeah, it was a, it was an exciting time. You know, it's a while ago now. They don't bring relievers to the Raptor game, just the starters. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I would have taken eights to the Raptor game too. But yeah, it was an exciting time. You know, I, I played in the AL East my whole career. And listen, you know, back then and, that, and during that part of baseball, man, to, to compete in the AL East, it was real. I mean, it was, you know, three good teams year in and year out. So you did have to kind of show up with a loaded roster. And there was a lot of excitement and a lot of energy in Toronto at that time when we showed up there and, you know, just never really, you never really capture what we were looking for. Was it something missing like in the team makeup, like even was it doomed from the start or was it just more of a series of bad situations and injuries really that derailed the team? Yeah. You know, it's so tough. Like, like I said earlier, you know, you get in that situation and you're playing in a super competitive division. A lot of things have to go right. At the end of the day, it's got to go right for anybody that's playing baseball right now. You have to have some good fortune on your side. And on top of that, play really good baseball. We just never really synced up. It felt like we got close. And I, to me, you know, you sit here and, you know, the playoff scenarios changed and everything. Back then, I felt like we were we could win in the playoffs because, you know, you had Doc. You know, you, you watch what Doc did his first
BJ, what was it like in that clubhouse, especially before your injury, right? Because after you got injured, it was really hard because you weren't there as often. But when you were there and you were healthy and you had, and I know before A.J. Burnett showed up, uh, Doc would barely smile in the clubhouse. And I know A.J. came in there and he did everything he could to kind of loosen up Doc. I know Litch tried to loosen up Doc. But there was an interesting mix of veteran guys, young guys, and really some very serious ball players in that clubhouse. Yeah, there were. And, uh, you know, AJ did a great job. I didn't know doc prior to coming to Toronto. I knew of him kind of like everybody else in baseball, but I didn't know him personally. And, uh, I don't know if you guys spent very much time around AJ. He's kind of the life of the party. I mean, he's got, (laughs) he's got a good, cool factor to him and he, and he's fun and he's outgoing to where I thought that, you know, I thought he did a lot for doc. And in the same time, I thought doc did a lot for him. They both brought something to the table to where AJ did make, he made baseball more fun because being around age, you never really knew what was going to happen. And I thought that was good for doc and, and to bring a guy into that caliber, to where, you know, I talked with Doc and, and and Doc wanted AJ to kind of scrap with him for that opening day start. Like, Doc was in. He wanted the competition. And, you know, AJ had enough firepower to bring that. But, I mean, I thought those two guys were great for each other. I know AJ took stuff from Doc. And, and, and I know AJ made baseball more fun for Doc. I love how you talk about, you know, getting something out of your teammates in more of an, you know, an ethereal way or like a social way like that. But as a pitcher coming into the Blue Jays, like you were one of the hottest relievers in baseball. And then you get together with AJ, you get together with Doc. Did you guys teach, like, do you learn like technical things from them? Do you pick up pitching tips from each other at that, at that level? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I was lucky that I spent time with Pat Hinkin before that. And, you know, Pat was a guy that Doc looked up to when he was in the minor leagues. So, uh, yeah, you know, Doc, uh, Pat was a big fan of talking shop. So you just talk baseball. I mean, you're around each other for so long and you get around a group of guys like that. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's mechanical because everybody at that, at that point in their life are, are pretty good at baseball. We can all agree with that, but it's just, it's little things you can hold on to. And, you know, Doc was really smart the way he had to rebuild everything. So he was really good mechanical wise. And he was really good at, at breaking down film and understanding hitters and, and how you could get them out, what you could do. So, you know, you could get your scouting report and you could go through the whole scouting report and I could leave after that scouting report and I could say, Hey doc, what do you think? And he would, I mean, immediately right off the top of the head, you can do this to him and there's nothing you can do about it. It's so and it comes from a confidence from playing with a guy like that when he voices his opinion to something like that. And Doc wasn't a guy that talked a whole lot. So when he did say something, it was really important. So, I mean, stuff like that, you have to get better. You have to learn from guys that you play with. You know, I was really lucky to play on some some veteran teams before I showed up to Toronto. So I spent a lot of time with around a lot of good, really good baseball men. And I learned a lot because I showed up in the big leagues not knowing anything. I kind of had to learn learn on the fly. Guys like Pat Hinkin, you know, I spent time with Jesse Orozco. I mean, a guy pitched in more games in the big leagues than anybody. And then you, know, you springboard that forward. So when I played with Doc, I thought Doc was the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, I'm, I know I'm biased, but you learn so much by watching his day-to-day routine and watching how hard he works and watching how he goes about his business to where it, it almost rubs off on you. It's, it's just, it's there all the time. And you, you see the success that he's having and he's not just lucking into it. It's, it's a lot of hard work behind the scenes. Back then baseball was, it wasn't as open as it is now. You didn't know what guys did. 
in the off season when they worked out and now you do, but back then it was kind of a secret. So to watch doc, the first time I got to watch him really go and, and, and prepare for the season and then prepare for a start, you're just like, there's a whole new animal out there. BJ, this is the part of the show where we're all, all going to act like grumpy old men and talk about how the game used to be so much better than it is now. Okay. So I'm going to start by showing you this. This is what a baseball looked like when you pitched. Okay. This is what a baseball looks like today. So they are in the light you can see. So there's the ball rubbed with mud. This is what they're using today. Does it surprise you at all that we're seeing pitchers griping about the grip of a ball? And as a guy that was a pitcher, uh, how much of a difference does that make when they were rubbing the balls down with mud like they did back in the 90s? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll start by saying this. I always made a vow when I got done playing baseball, I wasn't going to be the old guy that said, hey, Come man, on. this is how we did it in our generation. <laughs> and we're so much better than you guys. But I'll just, you know, I'll speak honestly. It's a hot button. See, I'm lucky. I got big hands, and I held the ball real deep. So it kind of didn't matter to me. Like, I just think pitching's a lot further ahead than hitting is right now, and they're all trying to buy an excuse. And listen, guys, you throw a baseball your whole life. You know, it happens at every level. You know, you could have a lot of humidity in the air. You don't have very much humidity. Now the, ball's, now the ball feels sandy. You know, you pitch in Colorado, the ball feels like a marble. So I don't ever think that putting pine tar onto a ball, it's like I'm trying to cheat. I'm just trying to get a good grip on it. And at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to – it is what it is. They're going to argue over it. And I think that at some point – like I played with guys, I'm not going to say any names, that were really good at scuffing a baseball back in the day. And oh, come on. You can, you can reveal their names now. It's so oh, no, no. Some stuff you just take with you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just think I think that, you know, I just think that pitching is kind of further along in the analytical age. I think hitting – I think if you go to spring training and you stand in an eight-pack and you watch eight guys throw a bullpen, you, you have a whole newfound respect to how hard hitting really is. And, you know, the game's morphed and it's changed. And, and it is what it is. You know, you, you talk about – there's – there's always great athletes in the big leagues. There are always great baseball players. It's been like that through every generation of the world. And the cream's going to rise to the top, but at some point there's going to be a, there's going to be a change because listen, these guys are throwing really hard. They're going to continue to get better. They're going to, I mean, you watch the Grom, he throws hundred miles an hour and he can paint. There's more of those guys coming. He's not going to be the last one. So you can, this whole ball thing and the grip, they changed the seams of the ball. These guys, us as pitchers, hold this baseball every day of our life. So the smallest change you can feel, you don't know how you can feel it. You just know what it feels like, and it feels different. All these guys, I feel like that if they are, some guys could be cheating. Hey, man, who knows? I don't play baseball anymore. But uh, for most guys, you're just looking for some consistency, consistency with your grip, just like you're searching for consistency with your with your the way you go about your business day in and day out. So it's a, that's a weird topic, man. It's, yeah. it's out in the public and it's, everybody's got an opinion and we'll just watch it unfold. What, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an offshoot of that. We'll step away from the, from the cheating. Um, and I would love to talk about just like pitching makeup, because you brought up the, you know, sort of the approach to the game and that whole fleet of, of you know, 100 miles uh, an hour pitchers that are coming up that can paint on the black um, 
Is it going to get to the point though, where like you yourself, you know, you were a, a mid low nineties pitcher and, and you dominated, you know, more than 10 K's per nine innings on average on all your, your healthy years, absolutely dominated with a velocity that was well below what most relievers in the game are, are throwing today. Could we ever actually see a point where maybe because of injuries or maybe just because of, you know, the game flow that, you know, pitchers start actually kind of trying to adopt more of a finesse game again? Uh, you know, I think that, that as a pitcher, my job facing a hitter is disrupting timing. And, you know, you spend time with a game, you talk to people and you try to tell them that all fastballs aren't created equal. They're not the same. The radar gun might say, you know, one guy throws 99, the next guy throws 99. But if you watch the hitter and the way he swings at it, there could be something like me. I had a lot of deception in my delivery. So I talked to guys throughout when I played is they really didn't see it. They couldn't pick it up till late. So it added more than the radar gun said to where now you get kind of everybody's almost wants to follow that same little model to where you'll get, you call them a stock righty and you hate to say a stock righty those 97 miles an hour. But I mean, if it's a stock righty and he kind of sprays it a little bit, I mean, that guy's going to run into some problems just because, I mean, he doesn't, there's not enough variance in his game. It looks like what they're used to seeing Velocity's relative to me, a really good hitter can hit a really good fastball. And I don't think the finesse game will ever come back. Not, not to where it was because, you know, I, when we played, you know, you had lefties that threw 86, 87 that were really successful because they could pitch, they could pull it, and they could spin it. And now this game is where there's such a premium on strikeouts and home run. It's going to be really hard for that kind of finesse guy to get back into the game. BG, they I also, wish there wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, there was a time when specifically lefties, right? They were they were called the, the loogies, right? They would come in and you'd face one batter and you'd leave. And now, of course, they've changed that rule. If you were pitching and you were warming up in the bullpen, does your mindset change while you're coming into the game knowing that you have to face at least three batters as opposed to, okay, well, I've got a lefty here. If I get this guy out, then maybe I'll get to face the righty. But if I don't, they're going to – like. do you think it's a completely different mindset now for a reliever knowing that they have to stay in for at least three? I do, you know, and I, I spent time as that loogie and I'll just go ahead and tell you guys that that is the worst job in all of baseball. Really? Cause you can basically show up at the field at the field that day, thumb through the lineup, pick the best lefty out in their lineup and know that you're going to face that guy with runners on base with probably some chips on the table. And I mean, it's a, it's a great job to learn how to get lefties out in high leverage situations. But at the same time, I, I like the matchup aspect of pitching out of the bullpen. I thought that, managers and stuff when you have to face three guys what if the guy just doesn't have it that day it's tough because now you've got to wait and now the inning can kind of spiral out of control to where you know we had 12 guys on our staff and if you do got a guy that's really good out getting lefties and you got one guy that's really good out get it righties out you just kind of mash them together and you fill that in in that way and it's different because that's the way I grew up playing baseball in the big leagues and now to watch them make a rule to change that just seems it just seems different to me you know I it was a really hard year being that matchup lefty guy but some of the stuff that it kind of sprung me into where I kind of ended up do you see it ever getting to the point where you know there's another sort of step a team can take to kind of build their bullpen and actually squeezing out those left-handed pitchers from the game entirely ah, no man lefties are awesome ah, that's yeah. right that's right 
No, shut up, righty, yeah. Tom. <laughs> yeah, whatever, Tom. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I just think because you know you watch it now. You guys are left-handed, right-handed. It doesn't matter. Everybody's throwing hard and spinning the ball. I mean, the the technology in the game. I don't think. I don't think that the most important thing can be judged by technology, but at the same point, it's a tool in your tool belt to where you can get better. It's tough. At the end of the day, you know, we play the Yankees and you watch their formula. The Yankees win and went out. You know, they had the best closer of all time at the back end of their game, but then they always had two guys to pair with them that were studs. And I think that philosophy is never going to change. You, you load that back end of your bullpen up with three guys and it's, it's really tough. BJ, I remember when you, you, the injury started to come up with you as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. And I remember seeing you and chatting with you. And so many people were, you know, at that point, they start taking shots, right? Well, he's making a lot of money and he's not producing. And my philosophy was it's not like the guy wanted to get hurt. It's, lot, it's not like you want to sit out and not pitch. How hard was this for you just from a mental standpoint? Because, you know, mentally – you want to play, you're competitive, you know how to do the job, you know how to get guys out. Your body's just not allowing you to do that. And on the, at the same time, you know that you were brought there and there was a lot of responsibility on you. How hard was that for you? Oh, yeah, it was <laughs> – that's the worst part of baseball. You know, my, the end of my career was awful because I'd worked so hard to get to that spot. And, you know, now I'm getting to spend time with – doc you know i'm hanging out with age and I'm, I'm and i feel like i'm getting better and i'm getting better and i, I you reach a point to where like hey man i feel like i i got a good grip of what i want to do now and how i can go about it and how i can get ready and then you get hurt and it's just it's just a spiral down almost back to the beginning and you know everybody's going to take their shots because you come in and you sign that you sign a big deal like that and but i mean the guys that know me know the uh know the competitor that i was and you know how hard I worked to get to where I got to and to go through that, man, it was lucky. I leaned on doc a lot in that spot right there because he was a guy that, you know, it, he had had to take a huge step back before early in his career to build himself back up. And, you know, that's the, that's the biggest mark of a baseball player because at the end of the day, man, it's games wrapped around failure that there's going to become a point to where you're going to think like, you know, Holy shit, man, like I'm all the way back down here at the bottom now and I've got to work all the way back up guys taking shots at you on top of that i mean it's just it's just white noise at that time because you're just you're worried about how am i going to get back that is a hard that's a hard spot man how long did it take you to to kind of come to peace with where you're at and accept that okay i guess my my career is going to come to an end it was a great career it wasn't as long as i'd have liked but was there a moment where you kindly accepted hey this was actually a pretty awesome life that i have had to this point yeah, you know, it, I'm going to be honest, it takes a minute. You go play golf and beat yourself up on the golf course enough and you start to hate golf so much that you look back on baseball and say, hey, you know what, I was pretty good at that. But it's it's tough. You know, you, you're never really – it happens fast. Very few people in this game get to walk away on their own terms. Usually the carpet's pulled out from under you. And it's, it's, uh, it's very abrupt. Your career happens kind of in the blink of an eye. It goes by really fast. It took me a little bit to where I can come on this and kind of talk with you and joke about it and laugh about it. But at the end of the day, man, it's you spend so much time you're consumed, you know, you're consumed with baseball. It's, it's kind of your life. You're dragging your family around back and forth. You're spending all your time. You're, you're in the gym, you're in spring training, and then it's gone. And it's a it is a very humbling experience. You know, 
talking about that sort of part of the journey and you know, obviously that's kind of mixed up with some strange messaging about your injury and how it was handled by the team and by Ricciardi. Um, but, you know, looking at it from a fan's perspective, even at the time, you know, I saw a pitcher who came in, signed a, a massive contract, had an amazing year, pitched in the All-Star game, then had a devastating injury, then came back from the injury early, despite some major changes in, in, in arm ability after the injury, pitched another great year. And literally, basically, you know, you, you pitched in Toronto till you couldn't pitch anymore. And, you know, does that player kind of look at how things were treated either by Toronto or by Toronto media and, and get frustrated or, or feel hard done by, or are those feelings sort of under the rug now? Oh yeah, they're gone after this point, you know, at the end of the day, when it ends badly like that, when it doesn't go the way you want it to go, it's easy to point fingers, just like you have people pointing fingers at you. It's just so easy to do. It's just the nature of the beast at the end of the day, man, look, I laid it all out there. I wish it would have ended better. I love Toronto. I love the city. I thought it would be great to win there and pack that stadium out. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine, you know, like when Hosey hits that home run, I couldn't imagine what that felt like in that stadium. And, you know, that's the regret for me is that we never, we never had that. And at the end of the day, man, we had Doc. So I always felt like it didn't matter who we matched up against. We had a good shot because they're going to get him a couple times in a series. But yeah, you know, I'm older now. My girls are growing up. Family have been away from baseball for a while now. So it's easy to look back, you know, and I had a good run. I worked hard. I came back too fast from Tommy John's, probably my only regret. And it just kind of spiraled out from there. And here we sit chatting about it 10 years later. You know, I remember walking into that clubhouse and whether it be at the Rogers Center or on the road. And the one thing I learned, uh, one lesson I learned from, from you, because there was, I remember there was some guy in the media that decided he was a camera guy and he decided to stand up on one of the couches and try to film you during a post game. And I learned right away, uh, media are not to touch the couches and specifically do not stand on it. And number two, never talk to you guys when you're playing cards. So most importantly, who was the best card player in that clubhouse? You're looking at him. Yeah. So what was your game? <laughs> you, you universal, man. I grew up in I, – I, I played in Baltimore for a while before that, and I played with some really world-class <laughs> – Okay, so can you tell us who cheats in cards at least? Uh, Marty Cordova. Okay, there 100%. we go. I mean, now we got so the, so That's a blast from the past. But I love Marty. He's a, uh, he's the second-best card player I know besides myself. <laughs> I learned a lot from him. Did guys like Doc, like was Doc as competitive playing cards as he was like on the mound? No, he didn't ever play cards with us. Doc was, when he was at the field, he was very straight laced. Yeah, but yes, true. Doc is exactly as competitive as you think he is kind of at anything else we did. So, yeah. But at cards, it would have been terrible, but he never played. <laughs> they ended up with the card throwing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have that same competitive streak in you? Yeah, you know, I think you do, and I think that's why it was. I think that's why it was easy to get along with Doc, just because we had some of the kind of the same kind of edge to us when it come to competing and uh, some cool stories about him. But uh, yeah, I do. I think I am. I'm a terrible loser, and I think he shared that same trait. <laughs> <laughs> what What has coaching been like for you? It's been good, you know. Getting back into it, I stepped away from the game like we talked about. It was terrible, and I just wanted to just be away from baseball. I'd spent so much time and I just wanted to be away. And then 
you're away for a while and you're spending time. And then you, I kind of felt selfish because I had spent so much time with so many of the right guys in my, in my view, I got to spend time with, you know, all those guys in Baltimore and, you know, Pat and doc. And I wanted to pass on because this next generation, it's not the same as when we played. It's, you don't have the old school baseball guys around anymore. Like you did when we played, I mean, there's some, but they're spread out and they're few and far between, but there's lessons that I learned from guys that, you know, play 15, 20 years in the big leagues that stand the test of time. And so you just kind of bring that out and you'd be amazed, you know, you come coach at the high school level to where now I'm talking about really simple things to where they want to be super complicated. I'm like, no guys, you're like, we're missing the forest because of trees. This, this, this is, this is where we start. Let's, let's do this first. And then we'll get to that. And You know, that, that comes from the veterans and the guys. And I just wanted to, I wanted to, that was my way of giving back. Do you ever see a look in a kid's eyes and think to yourself, that's the same look I had when I was that age? Yeah, you do. You, you, and it's crazy you play in the big league so long. Like I can watch a guy pitch or hit and I can instantly compare it to somebody that I played against. And, and then you tell them that and their eyes get real big and they think you think I got a shot. And I'm like, man, I've played with guys that are, you know, five, five to six, eight and all nationalities. Hell yeah, you got a shot. But that's up to you. Is it a harder road for young players nowadays? It's tough, man. It's tough for these guys to stay in age. And it's tough because, you know, they shorten the draft. I feel like there's a lot of guys that are in college right now that got a chance to go to pro ball. And you never know who's going to make it, man. I played with first rounders that didn't make it and 50th rounders that did. To think that you can forecast somebody's ability of how hard they want it or how hard they'll work or how they'll go after it or what kind of team guy they are. I just feel like some guys are missing the opportunity to get to go play pro ball and say I played pro ball. And from that, man, it's up to you. It's up to you if you make it or not. Like nobody's – somebody else's failures aren't going to lead to your success. You're going to go fight and everything you get you're going to earn. Absolutely. Well, BJ, uh, back in the days when you were playing, we didn't have this wonderful, uh, you know, technology or social media or anything. And, uh, you know, greeting and talking with fans was something that you could really only do at the ballpark. But – Thankfully, uh, with our show here, uh, here on Zoom, we're able to bring in a few fans. So every week we invite a few of them in and they get to uh, usually ask better questions than what uh, I ask or Tom asks. So, uh, guys, uh, say hello uh, to BJ there. And uh, let's uh, let's begin here with Fiona. Fiona, uh, you go first. Say hello to BJ. Hi, BJ. How are you? Doing good, Fiona. Good. Um, just thinking back to your younger days, public school, high school, college, were there any um, major league players there that you really admired and you thought, gee, I'd really like to pitch like him someday? Uh, no, you know, I got lucky early in my career, my first year in college, that I didn't watch a ton of baseball. We were too busy kind of playing it, but I got to spend some time with Scott Gereltz when I went to school at Centenary, and he was the first big leaguer that I've ever been around. And I just remember, and I ever thought to myself, if I do make it, this is the way I want to be when I get done playing baseball. He was such a great role model and such a great coach. And to spend time with him, he was the first true pro that I've ever been around and watched him, how he interacted with everybody and how he treated everyone. And it was just, uh, I mean, it was, it was a great lesson for me. I didn't ever think I would play in the big leagues. And now that I did, I want to spend time kind of, kind of in the role that I saw him feel for me. Fiona, great question. Thank you so much. And, you know, BJ, when I first uh, saw you as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays and I walked into that clubhouse during the first spring training, I, I was a little intimidated, right? Because I didn't know you personally, and I just, you know, you're you're a big presence. I'm this little wee guy, and I didn't know 
what it was going to be like. Do you recall ever being intimidated by a player when you were a rookie, uh, maybe your first camp and going, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy is here in my clubhouse? <laughs> yeah. Cal, Cal will make you stand up a little bit straighter. Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty, he's a pretty big presence when he walks into. I mean, t- terrific guy. But the first time you meet him and you see him, you, Mr. Cal Ripken, Iron Man, sir, you don't know how to interact with him because the presence is so big. And I mean, he was, he was amazing. But yeah, that's he was the first guy that kind of walked into the clubhouse here, just going, "Oh my, that's Cal Ripken." Is it true the first time Jesse Carlson saw you, he dropped to his knees and just said, I'm not worthy? Yeah, I'm not worthy. <laughs> no, no. no, Carlson, he's awesome. That's my boy, man. That's my boy. <laughs> uh, Sue, you're up next. And uh, Sue, uh, back when BJ was a, a Toronto Blue Jay, you were doing stuff for the fan club, and you had an interaction with Mr. BJ Ryan. Yes, we um, we. Hi, BJ. You look great. Thank you so much for doing this. You look fabulous. You haven't changed a bit. Uh, yeah, we we had the Blue Jays fan club and we managed to sneak a little interview with you somehow. And um, however, I just want to say I'm the little old lady who loved your walk up music to Slipknot. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, there's there's got to be a story there, because to me, like you you like tom and i are both musicians and when we see you we think total this guy's a country music guy slipknot how did that happen well it is <laughs> yeah no, no far away go ahead sue you know the it's, answer you, the fire and the flames to the music when you ran out i thought it was just amazing and i think one time you pointed me out to aj burnett and you said see her she likes Slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. But uh, no, I didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, when I closed in Baltimore for the first time, they asked me what I wanted to come out to, and I told them nothing. I said, I want Wimbledon, dead silence. And I ran out the first night, and I did that. And and our video guy and our kind of our music guy that kind of said everything, they came up to me, and they're like, man, we can't do that. We've got to we got to get something. And I said, okay, you guys pick. You guys choose. And that's what they came up with, and it just kind of stuck. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. You know, it's funny. Uh, back, I used to run a, a restaurant and bar, and we would use Slipknot to close out the night to let everybody know to go home. It was Psychosocial was the tune that we used. But are, are, you, are you a Slipknot fan in real life? Yeah, yeah, I am now, just because you guys kind of led me into it. Yeah. So you like the first time you heard that song, did you go, what in the hell are they playing? Or did you go, yeah, this this is this is getting me going? Yeah, no, I told him I was like, all right, guys, I was, and you I came in the next night and I didn't know what to expect because these were, you know, the guys that are in the clubhouse are your buddies. You're spending time with junk and stash, you know, and you're sitting there and you're hanging out with them. So I know them. So when I ran out that next night, I wasn't really sure what was going to come on. I didn't know. And then after they got in, it kind of stuck. It was, it was good. It's different. It's unique. And it's kind of charges you up. It's old school, heavy metal kind of rock and roll is kind of going away now. So it was a blast from the past now, but it was fun. Awesome. Sue, who knew you'd be the one that would bring up Slipknot? (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Uh, John, you're up next. Say hello. 
Hey, BJ, I love your positive attitude and your openness. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really enjoying this. So there's a few things before my question that I thought were really interesting. Your name is Robert Victor BJ Ryan Jr. I like BJ. So uh, Robert Victor, I think that's cool. Second thing is <laughs> you batted 370 for the Ragin' Cajuns and you were the 1998 Sunbelt Conference Baseball Tournament uh, outstanding player. I thought that was cool. May 1st, 2003, Ryan logged an unusual accomplishment. He won a game without throwing a pitch. <laughs> Ryan's first throw was to first base where he picked off Detroit Tigers Omar Infante to end the inning. The Orioles took the lead in the next half inning and Ryan was relieved to begin the half inning after that. So you got to win without a pitch. Trying to show him the way. Maximizing <laughs> my abilities. <laughs> that's efficient. Yeah, that's what you do. I mean, that's the game. <laughs> You're probably the only person that's won a game that way. I think that is fabulous. That was good stuff. It was lucky. You know, I'm blessed with, I tell people all the time, my greatest skill in baseball is I'm blessed with good timing. <laughs> there you show go. Up at the right time. Yep. All right, John, thanks so much. And, you know, that's the wild thing about not just pitching, hitting as well. Because we've spoke to hitters that say that one of the hardest things for them is accepting the fact that they can hit the ball as well as they can and they still have an out. And likewise, they can hit a little blooper. They think that was really bad and it falls in for a hit. You could throw an incredible pitch, it gets taken over the wall, and then you can miss a pitch and the guy swings over it. So it's a real strange thing about baseball, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a it's a mental it's a mental it's a mental battle with yourself because I mean there's so many there's so many outcomes there's so many good things that can happen or bad things that can happen and you pitch out of the bullpen you know one thing I learned like you'll have years where you pitch and it always seems like if they hit it hard they'll hit it right at somebody and then you'll have kind of a, a down year to where everything that they hit feels like a hit and it's mm -hmm. no it's not really that way but it's hard to convince yourself that you're just not unlucky this year and mm -hmm. it's Hitting, I don't know. I don't know how they do it at the big league level. I'll be honest with you. It's it's incredible. They're incredibly talented to hit day in and day out in the big leagues. Is it's incredible. BJ, is there a simple explanation as to why it's so hard as a reliever to put up consistent, solid seasons? Because you see, it's a very volatile position. I mean, you see starters that can go three, four, five years and just rack it up every year relievers it's so hard you can see a guy who's an all-star one year and the next year you know they get dfa'd uh, any logical explanation for that yeah i believe that the a number one i'm a lifetime bullpen guy i started when i was in college and once i got in the bullpen that's me i understand who i am i can't start i think it's harder to start than it is to pitch out of the bullpen just because of workload but i also think that the one advantage the starters do have is they have a routine that they can follow it's going to, they're going to check boxes every five days to where there's more volatility in that bullpen where you can go three or four days in a row and then sit for a week. You don't have that consistency built into your workload leading into the game. So, and then on top of that, it's tough. You know, you pitch at the back end of that baseball game, you know, running over the lineups that you face, you keep dancing with the devil. Eventually she's going to get you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You're, you're going to have to be able to overcome those hurdles and, it is. That's why I think the 
the volatility. And then you add a workload on top of that. Cause when you're throwing good out of the bullpen, you're going to throw a lot. You're going to be out there a lot. And now you start talking about managing workloads and you get fatigued down towards the back end and to where their starters, as hard as it is, those guys can, those guys can check those boxes every five days and go out and get ready to work. How would you like to come into a game in extra innings now, uh, knowing that you start the inning with a man on second? That's the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. A ghost runner. We did that when we were like seven. Just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan. I because I I'm a bullpen guy. I love the bullpen. When you get in extra innings, there's it, that's fun. That's fun. It's different. You're outside. You're outside your kind of normal realm. Now, not every inning feels like a save. Every inning's super magnified to where I don't think that they should need help to put runners on base. I've I've chopped off the rest of my evening, and somebody's going to win or lose this baseball game, and let's do it on our own. Very well said. All right, uh, one more to go. Craig, say hello to BJ. DJ and and uh, great to be on with you. I'm, I'm going to thank Tom for having me on. I'm going to bypass Barry altogether because he just took my question about volatility from the back of the bullpen, guys. So very upset with Barry. Today. <laughs> I, I do want to echo a Sue sentiment, uh, BJ. You look great. You look like you could get us three outs today if we needed. So congratulations there on staying in the shape there. Uh, I guess from a question standpoint, I'll pivot. I, I know uh, in either role, your setup or your closer role, you had a lot of success with Geronimo Gill behind the plate. You had Javi Lopez, great uh, former Braves catcher, finished his career with the Orioles. The two of you were just absolutely dominant. You had two seasons together there. What was important to you, BJ, in, in your relationship with your catcher? What, maybe even some other catchers that you felt you had a really good relationship with? Yeah, and that's a great question because to me, I always, you know, I did. I had, I had Charles Johnson early in my career, great mm -hmm. catcher. I had Javi, I had Brooke Fordyce, I had Chief. Chief actually came in, Geronimo Hill, he came into the games with me. And then I had, you know, I had Zani and Barajas when we were in Toronto. And I always thought that those catchers are our number one allies, our pitcher. You know, they, they hold so much. They can help us in so many ways. And I thought that those guys that were really active back there, that really cared, that put in the work, were great guys to pitch to. And on top of that, you know, you have a relationship with them in the clubhouse, outside of baseball. And I was, you know, extremely lucky to throw to the catchers that I did throw to, you know, they're. I mean, they're really good. They're in the big leagues. I mean, they can do it. <laughs> the energy that they bring pitching at the end of the game. Geronimo, Geronimo Hill was probably my favorite because we'd actually come in together. Yeah, so he was – and, you know, I had a thing with, with Chief. I called him Chief. So, Chief, I said I didn't really like the pick, and I didn't want to pitch out. But I said, Chief, if I lift my leg up and they take off, I'll just throw it up and away, and you throw them out. And he had a cannon, and that worked out for us. So, that was – that was that was a good blessing, man. Those guys, those guys that are behind the dish, you talk about jobs that are tough in baseball. That is the toughest one. Yeah. Hands down. Craig, again, thanks for a great question. Uh, BJ, what can I say? It's been, God, probably at least 10 plus years since uh, we've seen each other. Uh, it's great to catch up again. And again, a huge thanks to Carlson for uh, for setting this up and having us reconnect. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you uh, when we get the 2008-2009 uh, reunion together going, because I think that will be uh, quite a blast to have you guys all in the room together. Yeah, that'd be fun. I appreciate you having me, Barry. Thanks, Tom. There is former Blue Jay, former All-Star, former Oriole, B.J. Ryan, and also uh, a former college standout, as we saw. And a big thank you once again to our studio audience who continue to bring it each and every week with, with great questions. And, Tom, this is a wonderful opportunity for those of you watching or listening to get involved and sit in a room and chat with these former Toronto Blue Jays. We just finished up one with Dwayne Ward, which is going to air next week. and. 
this is something that no one else gives you the opportunity to do. So, Tom, if somebody wants to get involved, somebody wants to sit in these Zooms, how do they do it? Patreon.com slash out of the park. $3 a month, $5 a month, however many dollars a month you'd like to give gives you behind the scenes access to OTP, access to all of these interviews. You can sit in on these things, ask these people questions. It's it's an experience unlike any other. And, you know, I'd say it's the price of a cup of coffee a day, but it's it's literally the price of a, cof- a cup of coffee a month. So, yes, exactly. Come on aboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, now that we are on YouTube, you can subscribe to our page, Out of the Park, when you're watching the video, just hit subscribe. It's not going to cost you a cent, but the more subscriptions we have, uh, the better it looks for us and the more opportunity we have to keep producing these videos for you. If you want to listen to the audio version of it, Spotify. We're now on Spotify, Tom. How do people find us there? Spotify, just search out of the park on Spotify. It comes right up. Really, really simple. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, SoundCloud still. So we're everywhere where you get your podcasts. Yes. And if you have been using SoundCloud to access out of the park, we'll keep that going uh, Mm -hmm. probably for several months. But eventually that is going to go the way of the dodo bird. So uh, if you are on SoundCloud, switch your uh, subscription over to Podbean or one of the others, and you'll have Mm -hmm. the show delivered to you each and every week. So a big thank you once again to BJ Ryan, to Raj Sapaya, to all of our OTP insiders and those who joined this zoom as uh, as we do each and every week and tom i will tell you i know off the top you said that you know i do have a lot in common with bj ryan but i think the only thing that i really do have in common with bj ryan is the fact that we are both left-handers who do not throw the ball 100 miles an hour (laughs) i'm not saying how fast i do throw the ball but I can say, BJ, you and I are exactly alike because we're both lefties and we don't throw in 100 miles an hour. Well, next time I see you, I've got a radar gun. We can check. Oh boy. We can do it on out of the park. We can get bring it, have it on the show. Actually, listeners, if you're out there, next week, send show. us a message on YouTube. Do you want to see Barry's fastball? I'm, I'm, I'm in for that. Let's do that. <laughs> That's coming up next week. Uh, folks, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you so much. Uh, and everyone for making us a part of your week.